0: Lecture 3. On Patience as a Universal Virtue In all things let us exhibit ourselves in much patience. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 4 Owing to the habit of thinking of the virtues individually and separately, and to the method of thus treating of them in books, we are too much disposed to lose sight of their close connection with each other. And of the way in which they act not only with each other but within each other the distinctions between them have their foundations in their objects and to understand these distinctions is a valuable and useful instruction but that knowledge is equally valuable and instructive which enables us to understand how they act in union and mutual cooperation Giving animation, support, vigour, or protection to one another. One colour cannot make a picture, nor one virtue a saint. Many colours unite and blend their shades to form a beautiful work of art, and many virtues unite and blend together in happy mixtures to make a beautiful soul. As all the virtues have their seat in the will, and there unite, they flow into each other help each other mutually and are most perfect when most united but this connection and cooperation is much more intimate in the christian than in the natural virtues because they have their origin in the divine principle of grace converge proportionately to their perfection to one final end and are all animated by one in the same life of charity all the christian virtues live in the light of faith all look to hope all obtain their life from the love of god they are founded in humility ruled by justice guided by prudence sustained by fortitude preserved by temperance strengthened and protected by patience christian fortitude is a profounder degree of christian patience it is a gift of the holy ghost and patience is included in it as the less in the greater whilst each virtue has its own object certain virtues are called universal because besides their own special object they enter into every other virtue and assist every other virtue in obtaining its object of these next to charity patience is the most important for to recall the words of saint zeno all things look to patience neither faith hope charity nor justice neither humility nor charity nor any other virtue can hold together or keep on its way without the nerve restraint and discipline of patience hence it is called the virtue of the virtues as giving to them all their strength stability and perseverance it has also been called the chief part of virtue as being the abiding force that carries them through their difficulties if you ask the reason you will find it in the weakness irritability and inconstancy of our nature rendered so much more infirm through its fall and sin but this requires a large explanation which will help us to know ourselves and to understand what help we require to make us constant and peaceful if we examine the whole of the virtues we shall find them divisible into two kinds according to the work that they do for the soul one of these kinds seeks to reach good the other removes the obstacles that prevent us from seeking good of the kind that directly seeks good are faith hope charity justice and religion of the kind that removes the obstacles to good are humility temperance self-denial and repentance but patience which as st zeno remarks is less in multiplying than in perfecting the virtues belongs to both kinds of virtue it comes with charity derives the fire of its energy from the charity of the holy ghost and gives it perfection on that part it causes the will to adhere to god with constancy and sustains the other virtues that directly seek god for they work perfectly in proportion as they work patiently but it has another work A work of which we are more conscious in strengthening those virtues that resist evil and all that disturbs the peace and self-possession of the soul whilst therefore patience is conservative of the virtues that seek good it is the strength and stay of those virtues that remove the obstacles to good it is for this reason that st gregory calls it the root and guardian of the virtues and that saint cyprian teaches that it is both the expeller of evil and the keeper of good this brings us back to saint augustine's definition of the virtue that by patience we cheerfully endure evils with an equable mind that we may not through an evil disposition desert that good which brings us to our greatest good a soul given to impatience loses strength from every virtue and weakens her hold of all that is good she has not the spiritual nerve to hold herself together for in the impatient soul there is a restlessness a wavering a want of spiritual fibre a swerving from good intention and a want of steadfastness in action that disturbs the soul and undermines the most virtuous resolutions any change that passes in the sense and feeling of such a person a little restlessness in the nerves a little weariness of the mind a little trouble in the affections will disturb her slender patience lower the tone of her virtue and even change her intentions almost any change in outward circumstances an alteration in the weather a piece of bad news a sharp word or some little interference with what one is doing, however well intended, will be sufficient to alter the dispositions of the heart and change the current and color of one's thoughts as the impatient soul vibrates from one thing to another and rushes in desire from the present duty to something that the imagination represents as more congenial with a growth of impatience comes the disinclination to dwell on those divine and unchangeable truths which agree not with the spirit of restless change and a yet greater disinclination to hold to those divine motives that invite us to constancy and lead us to act with a view to our spiritual good for our impatience engages us with the sense of our own discomfort dissipates the spirit of recollection and scatters the power of attention to the great damage of all stability of purpose think of the unregenerated condition of the mortal body with its flame of concupiscence lusting against the spirit its restless sensibilities its petulant appetites its disorderly movements its reluctance to be brought under subjection to the law of the spirit its ever-changing irritabilities and those crooked instincts of evil that through the imagination move upon the soul all tending to trouble her peace and to overthrow the virtues unless patience be there to resist and withstand the inflowings of irritation curiosity and cupidity it is impossible for the soul to preserve her own proper good or to secure its augmentation for every virtue and the good of every virtue is open to temptation and loss through yielding to the restless irritability of our mortal frame even those who have obtained a calm exterior demeanour for social purposes by artificial training are not thereby delivered in any degree from their internal disturbances then in the soul herself there is that terrible disorder of self-love giving birth to pride and vanity those fearful irritators weakeners and dividers of the soul that interfere so much with the advancing movements of all the virtues and give rise to such an amount of impatience and disturbance and being in close league with the animal senses leave nothing in its right place nothing in its just union with its proper good and strength nothing in enduring peace the good of the soul is spiritual like herself but immeasurably greater than herself it is the littleness of self-love that makes her impatient of a good so much greater than self-love can aim at or anything short of charity can aspire to to reach that good requires a most patient cooperation with the grace of charity, but the disinclination that makes the soul slow and reluctant to seek that spiritual good reveals the feverish impatience of her greater good with which she is afflicted. In a perfect spirit, thought and will must act in perfect unison, the thought one with the truth and the will one with the justice contained in that truth the will must at once reject the evil which truth reveals to the thought and all the powers of the soul with the virtues that belong to them must act in perfect accord with the light in the mind and the justice in the will this implies a perfect union of the soul with god to the complete annihilation of inordinate self-love and a state of stability in that union which neither moves from the light of god nor wavers from the love of god this stability is the perfect patience of charity change that patience into impatience and the unity of that soul with god and through god within herself will be shaken and impaired if not altogether lost In the degree in which the soul loses her union with god she glides off from the divine basis of her strength and there arises division within herself in consequence of that division her spiritual acts become feeble wavering and impatient the will is often at discord with the mind and the mind with the truth good intentions fail for want of resolution and feeble acts falter after wavering intentions, and these are soon lost sight of for want of the patience that gives them perseverance. Conscience and conduct are often at disagreement from want of that strength and stability of will which faithfully follows the inspirations of conscience. Such is the fallen man, weakened in all his spiritual joints and sinews, the wasting disease of impatience man alone is headstrong says saint zeno alone impatient taking his daily pleasure in his disorderly emotions he is given to change he thinks it a misery to be himself he is unwilling to see that when he keeps not himself in his just and proper state he subjects himself to a derangement that is not unlike to lunacy what is this impatience but a slippery condition of mind in which the soul acts with hasty and frequent perturbations against her own well-being her actions are unstable incautious blind and improvident and she excites herself to her own undoing impatience is a thing without substance a busy failure divested of personal dignity putting everything in a state of trouble, disturbing all things in an instant. Impatience is the mother of sin, the nurse of curiosity, the goad to rashness, the author of detestable evils. The death that strangled human salvation burst forth from impatience in the beginning of the world. If there is truth in this description of mankind when living in quiet times, how much more applicable is that truth to the unquiet times in which we are living all the present conditions of life seem to combine in making men restless and unstable it looks as if we had fallen upon those latter times predicted by the prophet daniel when many shall pass to and fro and knowledge shall be manifold daniel chapter twelve verse four whatever have been the benefits resulting from investigations speculations and inventions of our times they have had the effect of producing a moral intoxication on the minds of men that has turned them away from the pursuit of divine and eternal things and has changed the tranquil habits of our fathers into habits of restlessness and the love of perpetual movement most men have become eager for novelty and change and they live so much outside themselves as to neglect or even abandon the interior good of their souls the tree of the knowledge of good and evil has been shaken for its fruits and if the knowledge of good has fallen to those who are inclined to good the knowledge of evil has fallen in great abundance to those who are inclined to evil We live in the midst of a restless, impatient, and fevered life, that more than ever demands for our security, patience of will, and stability of mind. We have not yet completed the account of the fever of impatience. A great number even of persons desiring the better things are habitual sufferers from a low, malingering, and silent form of the malady because ignorant of themselves they are unable to perceive how their want of interior patience deprives their virtues of their vigour and undermines their spiritual health they feel that something keeps them back from advancing to more solid virtue but they see not that it is their want of patience with themselves and with what they are engaged upon that distracts the mind dissipates the heart and makes the soul inconstant in her purposes they have never disciplined their will that central power of the soul in that fundamental patience which gives a firm and assured basis to all the acts of our life they have not realized to themselves the sense of the psalmist when conscious of his natural weakness he exhorts himself be thou o my soul subject to god for from him is my patience there is something so singular in this virtue observes the learned and contemplative harpheus that even those who seem to have the other virtues are often devoid of patience they are not only devoid of interior and spiritual patience but they have no idea what an immense defect it is or how much their interior impatience is the cause of their inward troubles and the obstacle to their interior advancement patience is of god says saint cyprian and whoever is gentle mild and patient is an imitator of god if the patience of god the father abide in us who are repaired by the divine nativity if we have that likeness of god in us that was lost in adam it ought to shine from our interior outwards and become manifest in our actions what we have thus far endeavoured to say on this virtue as the groundwork of the other virtues has been most happily expressed by the reigning pontiff leo the thirteenth in his encyclical letter on the third order of st francis the successor of peter teaches us in these words the perfection of christian virtue is a disposition of soul that is patient of all that is arduous and difficult its symbol is the cross which those who follow christ bear on their shoulders what belongs to this disposition is a soul detached from mortal things a vigorous self-control And the gentle and resigned endurance of adversity finally the love of god and of our neighbor is the mistress and sovereign of the soul such is its power that it wipes away all the hardships that accompany the fulfillment of duty and makes the hardest labors not only endurable but actually pleasant whenever the will separates from the foundation of its strength by departing from god the instruments of the will be it the mind the hand or the tongue lose their patience and in losing their patience lose their wisdom and skill the thoughts wander from their purpose the imagination seduces and carries away attention the hands relax in their work the tongue becomes imprudent the sense of duty is enfeebled and duty itself lingers on its way or is imperfectly done the workman suffers as well as the work because impatience is trouble and has an element of sadness in it as it is obvious that all the virtues and the whole condition of the soul are enfeebled by the fever of impatience it must be equally obvious that the whole soul is strengthened and made healthy by the discipline of patience hence the old french proverb that patience surpasses science but this is the last virtue obtained in its perfection because human nature is so weak and inconstant and the acquiring of this virtue is laborious but when it has reached a certain perfection it secures to the soul a cheerful serenity and sweetness and a constant peace viewed as a universal virtue saint cyprian describes it in the following terms patience commends us to god and keeps us united with god by its force we keep down anger control the tongue govern the mind and guard the peace of the soul by the same virtue we govern ourselves with discipline break down the assaults of concupiscence repress the swellings of pride and extinguish the heat of malice it restrains the wealthy from abusing their power and supports the poor in their wants and distress it protects the blessed integrity of virgins the laborious chastity of widows and the mutual charity of married life It makes the soul humble in prosperity strong in adversity and meek under injuries and calumnies it teaches us to be quick in pardoning offences and when we have offended to ask much and long for pardon it repels temptations endures persecutions and brings to sufferings and martyrdom a happy consummation patience gives strong and firm foundations to our faith patience exalts our hope to a sublime degree of confidence patience enables us to follow in the steps of christ and walk after him in the way of endurance it gives us the perseverance of the children of god whilst we imitate the patience of our heavenly father to put this subject in its widest point of view all the appetites and passions of our nature are good when in their just order their right measure their due direction and in true accord with the light of reason and the faith but they become disorderly incline us to evil and become evil themselves when through inordinate irritability which is the result of weakness they spring up in a disorderly way and lead us into disorder as st thomas teaches from st paul what is irritable or irascible in our nature has its root in concupiscence or in the passionate desires of our animal appetites and ends in them whence it follows that patience grounded in fortitude is the proper remedy for all inordinate passions and appetites and this reminds us of the teaching of so many of the early fathers That if Adam had kept his patience, he would not have lost his innocence. You see impatience in the sensitive feebleness of childhood, in the restlessness of youth, in the instability of manhood, and in the returning feebleness of age. But you never see it in the saints, because they have laboriously disciplined themselves in patience and have obtained the cheerful possession of themselves. Some persons are by nature and the temperament of their constitution more choleric and irascible than others. This temperament is compounded of two elements, sanguine ardour and irascibility. But when this irascibility has been brought by laborious self-discipline under the rule of patience, the ardour of it is most valuable when in its right direction both for the overcoming of difficulties and for the undertaking of good works and thus it is with every force of human nature deliver it from the disturbing influence of impatience place it under the discipline of patience and it will work in good order and to the best effect of which it is capable not only does the invigorating and steadying virtue of patience proceed from charity But it perfects charity charity is patient in the words ascribed to saint dionysius the areopagite that love of god which first moves the soul towards divine things is a most sacred and unspeakable operation whereby a divine state is established in us this divine state is the work of the holy spirit dwelling in the soul and as st paul shows the grace of charity brings with it the grace of patience but charity is the life-giving form of all the virtues first it is the divine principle of their supernatural life secondly it gives to them their supernatural value and the condign merit of eternal life thirdly charity communicates to them that high moral good from which they obtain their perfection but let the reader specially take note that grace is one thing and virtue another grace is the divine gift virtue results from the cooperation of the will with the divine gift but as there is so much more to overcome and consequently so much more labor of the will in the exercise of patience than in the exercise of any other virtue THAT IS THE REASON WHY THERE ARE SO FEW WHO REACH THE MORE PERFECT DEGREES OF PATIENCE. HAVING NEVER EXPERIENCED THE WONDERFUL STRENGTH AND PEACE WHICH THE FUNDAMENTAL VIRTUE OF PATIENCE GIVES TO THE SOUL, OR THE CLEARNESS AND VIGOUR WHICH IT GIVES TO HER INTERIOR ACTS, THEY HAVE NEVER REALIZED THE EXTREME IMPORTANCE OF STRIVING TO OBTAIN IT AT WHATEVER COST. Yet it is by patience that charity is perfected, and this was manifested in our Lord Jesus Christ, whose divine charity was so wonderfully patient, and who consummated his love of his Father and of mankind by his most patient sufferings. St. Bonaventure justly remarks that to suffer and endure with patience for the love of God is a much greater thing than to do great works for the love of god but in this pious souls are often at fault they will attach this principle to external sufferings and will not see that it applies with even greater truth to internal and spiritual sufferings yet our divine lord suffered much greater things in his soul than in his body there is a sentence of saint maximus which every good christian should carry in his mind the sum of christianity is to give love for love and patience for suffering whoever is most patient under suffering will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven but it should be equally remembered that spiritual sufferings are far greater than corporal sufferings And here, a remark of the learned and pious Cajetan will not be out of place. Commenting on the first of the Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and also on the last, Blessed are they that suffer persecution for justice' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, after pointing out that the poor in spirit are the humble, he says, By the word persecution you must understand every kind of pain and suffering. You see, then, that one and the same reward is given to those who act patiently, the poor in spirit, and to those who suffer patiently, provided they persevere to the end. They both obtain the kingdom of heaven, and it is theirs already, although they have not yet come into their possession. In short, the reward of heaven, so magnificently described in the book of Revelations, is there repeatedly promised by our Lord to those who by their patience conquer their adversaries by overcoming themselves. The intimate relations of patience with charity have never been expressed with greater force and beauty than in the parable dictated by St. Catherine of Siena, whilst in a state of ecstasy it occurs in her dialogue on discretion and we shall here give it in a free translation be it first however observed that st catherine uses the word discretion in the sense of spiritual recollection in which we obtain perception of the relative value of divine and human things in this sense of the word she follows that illustrious doctor of her order albert the great Who thus describes it true discretion is to judge prudently between the creator and the creature between what the creator is and what the creature is and in how much the creator differs from the creature it likewise judges between what is good what is better and what is best and also between what is evil what is more evil and what is most evil whilst it decides how much the good is to be loved and the evil to be detested the just man is compared in the psalm to a tree planted by the waters whose fruits do not fail if you plant a tree within a circle of fertile earth the earth will nourish the tree and make it fruitful but if you take it up from the circle in which it is planted it will die and produce nothing the soul is a tree made to be fruitful in love it can only live in charity the roots of that tree are the affections of the soul which should be planted within the circle of self-knowledge of that self-knowledge which is united to god by humility but god is likened to the circle in this that he has neither beginning nor end and the soul that is planted in the earth of humility And is united with god finds herself within that divine circle within which she obtains the knowledge of god and of herself if the soul be thus united with god she will find that her knowledge like that circle has neither beginning nor ending but if the soul is not united with god though she may have a beginning of knowledge it will end in confusion In the measure in which the tree of charity is nourished by humility, it will put forth the branches of discretion. But the pith and marrow of the tree is patience, and this patience is the demonstrative proof that God is in the soul, and that the soul is united with God. Thus sweetly planted, the tree will put forth the virtues as its flowers and will produce such fruits as will be profitable to our neighbors, to such at least as are willing to accept them from the servants of God. The soul herself will praise God, who is the creator of the tree and its fruits, and will come to her final end in the everlasting God, from whom, without her consent, she never can be removed but the fruits hang on the boughs of discretion by the force of patience from which they derive their excellence food is not more essential to strength of body than patience is to strength of soul and god in his goodness makes us conscious of our weakness that we may be induced to seek the means of strength What God loves and approves in us is the cheerful and loving patience that we put into our duties, because that is the spirit of charity, and expresses the amount of charity with which we serve him. Every new restraint that we put upon the hurry and impetuosity of our excitable nature is a reduction to order, a power gained, a weakness removed. A further subjection of nature to grace, a step in the way of peace, that makes us less unlike to God. We read much of the self-denial and self-mortification of the saints. We know how effective this is in purifying nature and in subjecting the body to the spirit and the spirit to God, so long as it is under the safeguard of obedience. We know that self denial is enjoined by our divine Lord upon all his followers, and that without self denial there can be no solid virtue, because it directly attacks self love, which is the source of all evil. And he said to all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. St. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 whoever again is acquainted with those schools of sanctity the religious orders will not have failed to observe that where the spirit of the founder is duly observed cheerfulness and spiritual joy are always in proportion with the amount of self-abnegation and austerity enjoined by the rule this fact opens a great light to us and shows that the secret of cheerfulness and content is in the freedom of spirit obtained by the conquest of the body. It must be so, because the sacrifice of self to God invigorates the will, makes the soul patient and healthy, and quells that sensual self-love which is the source of impatience and sadness, changing it into the generous love of God. But when we come to that interior and spiritual mortification to which exterior self-denial is subservient, we shall find, upon careful examination, that it is all reducible to patience. Take the mortification of inordinate curiosity for an example. This is a vice that is very injurious both to self-control and to recollection, and opens the door to many temptations. It leads the mind away in search of distracting and dissipating novelties. It peeps into other people's conduct and affairs with which the soul has no concern. It will even pry into error and vice and long to taste the evil that is in them. This evil not only dissipates the mind but breeds many rash judgments and lays open the heart to many temptations. But it is patience that withholds the mind from curiosity and mortifies this inordinate vice to death. Take the mortification of the interior sensibilities for another example. These sensibilities produce the affections, which, when directed to their right objects, influence the will to good, but when directed to wrong objects, influence the will towards evil or disorder. Their lawful use is to attach the soul with love and pleasure to what is good for us, and to withdraw the soul with dislike and abhorrence from what is evil or injurious to our well-being. But it is by patience that the will withholds the sensible affections of the soul from mingling with the disorderly movements of the body or the inordinate movements of self-love and so the soul is kept back from entering into the disorders of the irascible passions on the one hand and from entering into the inordinate movements of the sensual appetites on the other thus the true mortification of the interior affections of the soul is reducible to that patience which whilst adhering to god refuses to surrender the will to the sensibilities, passions, and sensualities of the animal man that, when followed, lead to confusion and spiritual death. St. Paul points to this internal discipline where he says, If you live according to the flesh, you shall die. But if by the Spirit you mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. Romans chapter 8 verse 13 but the deeds of the flesh are not merely its external acts but much more those internal sensibilities irritabilities and sensualities that spring from the body and which st. Paul calls the spirit of the flesh when any part of the body mortifies the arteries no longer bring to it the life-giving blood the veins no longer take from it what is injurious to life. But spiritual mortification acts on the side of life. It is an act of the patient will refusing entrance into the soul to whatever obstructs the freedom and flow of spiritual life. Having put the interior process by which the soul is disciplined into patience, In various points of view, to assist the reader in understanding it, we will now resume what has been stated in one comprehensive view. If you are placed within a fortress founded upon a rock, within that stronghold you will feel secure from the enemies who seek to injure or destroy your life. The walls and the rock hold together and resist all efforts to break through or undermine them what is the secret of the strength and security which they give you it consists in that invisible and mysterious power which is called the attraction of cohesion whereby all the parts hold together and the whole is made firm and inaccessible but if your adversaries have an accomplice within the fortress it is still in danger of being betrayed and surrendered The soul is a living free and most sensitive spirit having the will for its central power the fortress which protects the soul from her enemies is patience it rests upon god as the rock of its strength and is fenced round as by a wall from the invasion of its enemies the secret of the strength of this fortress is in the spiritual cohesion by which all the powers of the soul hold together through the patience of the will, and are thus enabled to resist the efforts of the enemies of the soul from entering within its defenses, and there spreading disorder, confusion, and desolation. But if the will becomes relaxed and careless, all the powers that depend on the will become loose and negligent, And the adversaries of the soul find their accomplice whose name is impatience within the stronghold the fortress is betrayed and all sorts of trouble and disorder make their way within the soul the will and its powers are driven from one disorder to another and the soul herself becomes a pitiable spectacle to god and his angels but to use the figure of the psalmist God is the firm rock and fortress of the soul, and when the will adheres to God, his truth surrounds her as a shield, and his grace pours in its strength, enabling the will to hold her powers together, and to resist by their cohesion all the efforts of temptation, and every disorder that would trouble the peace of the soul or do injury to her life what we have here endeavored to put in figure is to illustrate the truth that we become strong to resist temptation to endure trials and to keep ourselves above the wasting influence of sadness in proportion to the firmness with which the soul adheres by her center to god as the supreme and central foundation of her life by which adherence her powers are kept in unity and in obedience to the will obedient to god the will or central power of the soul should never be thrown off from its own true center but should be patiently held to its divine support so that the soul may never go off from her foundation or lose her balance the lord is my firmament my refuge and my deliverer psalm 17 verse 2 this is what St. Catherine of Siena means when, in her inspired wisdom and from her own example, she advises us to form a little cell by recollection in the center of the soul, protected by patience as by walls, into which the Spirit of God, His light and grace alone shall enter, a little sanctuary into which the world and its cares shall never enter a center of peace into which no trouble shall be allowed to come so that when troubles come that come to all they may be kept by the intervention of patience outside of that secret sanctuary of the soul and never be allowed to come between the soul and god if they are allowed entrance into the soul they will confuse the vision and disturb the will which will not know how to deal with them But if kept outside the soul, they will have no power to disturb either her judgment or her peace. She will see through them after a time and will know how to deal with them. This is one of the most important rules for the patient management of the will. Whilst the soul is able by her fundamental patience to keep a calm and recollected center, She will be able to use her faculties and put them forth with tranquil energy from that calm and recollected and immovable center, in their due order, towards their work, as duty, obedience, and the will of God require. An immense amount of fatigue and trouble will be saved, for nothing fatigues so much as the interior disturbance resulting from disorder and the want of central calmness. WE ARE NOW IN A POSITION TO BETTER UNDERSTAND THE WORDS OF OUR DIVINE LORD. IN YOUR PATIENCE YOU SHALL POSSESS YOUR SOULS. BUT IF WE THROW OUT THE VERY CENTER OF THE SOUL UPON THE CREATURE, AND THUS PART WITH OUR INTERIOR UNION WITH GOD, WE SHALL BECOME NOTHING BUT WEAKNESS AND DISORDER. EXTREME CASES BEST ILLUSTRATE INTERMEDIATE ONES observe two persons in a high state of quarrelling both have lost their self-control whatever is within them is thrown out in a flame of passion their judgment is gone with their self-command and you see all round and through them a pitiable spectacle of human weakness driven by animal instincts ungoverned by the light of reason the whole centre of the man is thrown out and there is nothing reserved within him by which he can control himself observe another example in which one is the victim of uncontrollable passion and the other in full possession of himself derived from patience and endurance you have here the whole contrast between moral strength and moral weakness strength prevails and weakness is put to shame take the case of one who devoid of that central patience and strength finds himself suddenly involved in some complicated trouble in which both persons and affairs are concerned the trouble gets inside of him takes hold of his feelings confuses his faculties and clouds his judgment which is too much embarrassed to help him through his difficulty If he is at all wise, he will seek the counsel of a prudent and experienced friend. Take another who possesses his soul in patience, he will keep his trouble outside his soul, hold it at due distance, which will give him a calm, objective view of it, and after a time he will see his way through it and know what to do with it whilst then the primary object of patience is to keep the centre of the soul recollected and protected in its recollection the second is to govern the exterior life from that recollected centre whether in action speech or demeanour so that the strength calmness and moderation of the soul may shine out in our exterior conduct in a way that may commit us to nothing but what is peaceful and edifying. The remoter objects of patience are the evils, trials, temptations, and disturbing influences that come against us without our will or choice. Upon these we can impress no image of virtue, because they are not within us. They form no part of us, but are altogether independent of us. But if we suffer these outward causes of trial to enter into us and take possession of us, they break down the strength of patience, throw us into disorder, and defile us with their vices. But if these evils are kept outside of the soul, when they cannot be removed they must be endured, with the consoling reflection that the endurance of them will strengthen and increase our virtue, and prepare us for the rewards of endurance but as we have already observed the effect of patient endurance is not to make us hard and insensible to trials and sufferings this would defeat the beneficent designs of god in allowing them for our probation and greater virtue some think observed st gregory that it is a sign of great constancy not to feel the scourges and sufferings that come upon us from the correct hand of god others feel those trials to such an excess as to indulge in grief and sadness beyond all right and reason and give a murmuring tongue to their pains but the true virtue of patience holds the midway between these extremes for insensibility of heart Gives no weight to virtue and when a man feels no sense of pain from the trials that god sends him it only proves his incorrigible stupidity and numbness of heart when on the contrary under the rod of trial and rebuke he gives himself to excessive grief and sadness he throws away that patience which guards the virtues and whilst his heart suffers to excess he breaks into impatience and perhaps into injuries and instead of being amended by his troubles he gives himself to worse evils on account of them there is also an impatience with oneself and who is not acquainted with that infirmity it may have its beginning in some venial fault or error into which we have slipped or glided with no great deliberation But the failure has wounded our self-love, and produced an interior annoyance and vexation which is far worse than the original fault. Like throwing away the medicine when the disease appears, patience is given up at the very moment when wanted to cure the infirmity. Had we taken to that steadying virtue at once, the mischief would have been stayed, But the shame and humiliation of failure is allowed to disturb the heart, to discomfort the soul, and to bring on a certain sadness that goes from one act of interior impatience to another, doing more harm than a hundred of those faults from which this disorder is allowed to rise. Yet, as St. Bonaventure tells you, patience would have purged the sin and would have saved you from it in future. Charity is patient, and patient charity covers a multitude of sins. The Church proclaims this in the Tribunal of Penance, that not only the works of charity, but the endurances of patience are satisfactory for sin. The priest says to the penitent, May whatsoever good thou dost, and whatsoever evil thou endurest, be to the remission of thy sins and the reward of eternal life we may well say with st gregory that patience is the cure of every grief delay not the cure or the grief will turn to sadness take hold of patience or the one fault will bring you others that are greater in its train It remains to show how this strenuous virtue is the fundamental principle that gives power to the beatitudes the poor in spirit are the humble they know they have nothing of their own but their weakness and sins and that they are dependent on god for all things they therefore hold themselves in subjection to god and keep themselves with patience in their lowly position The meek are those whose patience has made them gentle and forbearing in the sweetness of charity, and who possess the land of their soul in peace. The holy mourners whom God comforts are they who in patience lament before God, and do penance for the evils whereby he is offended, and who patiently persevere in their supplications for the removal of evil they who hunger and thirst after justice must patiently mortify their sensual appetites and selfish desires that their spiritual appetite may be filled with good things the merciful cannot be merciful unless their patience restrain them from anger and selfishness that their charity may flow forth in pardon and generosity the blessed peacemakers are they who possess their own souls in peace. And they who suffer persecution for justice's sake are they who bear and endure whatever is inflicted upon them for the love of God, for whose holy cause they stand. Then, to crown the exposition of the Beatitudes, our Divine Lord calls upon His followers to rejoice in suffering for His sake because of its exceeding reward. Blessed are ye when they shall revile you, and persecute you, and speak all that is evil against you untruly for my sake. Be glad and rejoice, for your reward is very great in heaven. St. Matthew chapter 5 verses 3 through 12 Truly, patience is golden, and patient suffering in devoted charity is a pure diamond one good example is worth a thousand when taken to heart and we will therefore conclude with an example of the power of patience in illustration of what has been said from the life of saint francis xavier as given in the nervous language of dryden when saint francis brought the gospel into japan on the first occasion on which it was heard in the city of amanguchi the saint and his companion john fernandez met with great opposition especially among the bonzas when an action of xavier's companion did not a little contribute to the gaining over of the most stubborn fernandez preached in one of the most frequented places of the town and amongst the crowd of auditors were some persons of great wit strongly opinionated of their sect who could not conceive the maxims of the gospel and who heard the preacher with no other intention than to make sport of him in the midst of the sermon a man who was of the scum of the rabble drew near to fernandez as if he were to whisper something to him and hawking up a mass of nastiness spit it full in his face fernandez without a word speaking or making the least sign that he was concerned took his handkerchief wiped his face, and continued his discourse. Every one was surprised at the moderation of the preacher. The more debauched, who had set up a laugh at this affront, turned all their scorn into admiration, and sincerely acknowledged that a man who was so much master of his passions as to command them on such an occasion, must needs be endued with greatness of courage and heroic fortitude. One of the chief of the assembly discovered somewhat else in this unshaken patience. He was the most learned of the doctors of Amanguchi and the most violent against the gospel. He considered that a law which taught such patience and such insensibility to affronts could only come from heaven, and argued thus with himself these preachers, who with so much constancy endure the vilest injuries cannot pretend to cousin us it would cost them too dear a price and no man will deceive another at his own expense he only who made the heart of man can place it in so great a tranquillity the force of nature cannot reach so far and this christian patience must proceed from some divine principle these people cannot but have some infallible assurance of the doctrine they believe and the recompense which they expect for in fine they are ready to suffer all things for their god and have no human expectations after all what inconvenience or danger can it be to embrace their law if what they tell us of eternity be true i shall be eternally miserable in not believing it and suppose there be no life but this is it not better to follow a religion which elevates a man above himself and which gives him an unalterable peace than to profess sects which continue us in all our weakness and which want power to appease the disorders of the heart he made his inward reflections on all these things as he afterwards declared and these considerations being accompanied with the motions of grace As soon as the sermon was ended, he confessed that the virtue of the preacher had convinced him, he desired baptism, and received it with great solemnity. This illustrious conversion was followed with answerable success. Many who had a glimmering of the truth and feared to know more plainly now opened their eyes to the light of the gospel.